0: Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge you are the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. We recognize you, O Lord, as the Holy One, the perfect being, the awesome God, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence our Savior, Redeemer, and our soon-coming King. And so, our Father, this morning, as we turn our attention to the great news of our salvation and what it means to us, I pray, O God, that you would encourage the hearts of those who belong to you and draw the hearts of those who are yet to belong to you, to yourself. This day, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. When you embraced the promise of salvation by God through Jesus Christ, you also received the promise of everlasting life. When you came to know Christ as your personal Savior, your Lord and Savior, you began a journey that will never end. It's exciting news, especially in these days for us to know the truth about the promise of everlasting life. Ever since God was forced to banish mankind from his good creation work in Eden and removed himself from dwelling with man, Genesis 3, 23 and 24. It has been God's mission, He has made it His mission, to redeem, reconcile, and return us to the restored Eden, where He will dwell with us once again forever. The record of Scripture details that for us. One of the big questions, the burning questions on all of our minds and all of our hearts in days like this is... I've heard about in the Bible where it says he will wipe away every tear and there'll be no more crying, no more death, no more sickness, no more dying. When is that going to happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's where we're going to journey today. Now, one of the interesting things about today, of course, that's Revelation 21 verse 4. And everybody wants to race there. Let's get there. But there's some things that have to happen before we get there. Now, all believers who are here or listening to me this morning, I'm sure will agree entirely with my outline. Talks about the eager expectation of creation, talk about Christ as the first fruits of resurrection. We're going to talk about the next great thing, the next big thing for believers is Jesus And then we're going to talk about the eternity for us as the new heavens and new earth. We'll all agree on that. But we're going to have a whole lot of fun with all the details in between that the Bible details for us. And um, so we're going to work our way through uh, a process here this morning from Scripture that helps us to get to the very question that you all have is when is that wipe away every tear thing going to happen. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things has passed away. First of all, would you turn in your Bibles because we had a creation problem. Once sin came into the world, we developed a creation problem which we talked about last week and the whole issue of Eden and the fact that man's access was banned from Eden, but in Romans chapter 8, we find there that the, in developing this, the nature of the future, the nature of end, end times, the nature of our resurrection, the nature of all of that, it starts with an understanding of the eager expectation of creation itself, that God's eternal plan includes his whole creation, not just us, but the whole of God's creation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And by the way, this is the gospel to creation, this is the good news Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. Here's the phrase, the redemption of our bodies. Core truth in Christianity is eternal bodies. Core truth. And it is established here with the whole redemption of creation. The gospel, the good news of creation is the glory to be revealed in us through the redemption of our bodies, the incorruptible to finally come. And creation, plants and animals and everything is waiting in eager anticipation. It's frustrated by this present state of creation waiting for our redemption. God's eternal plan. Creation itself, it says in the text, will be liberated, freed from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom. Now, I think it's important for us to understand that paradise lost is going to be paradise restored when Christ comes for us and gives us our resurrection bodies. Now, back in Isaiah sixty-five, there's um, some descriptions of what creation is waiting for. Isaiah sixty-five verse seventeen: "Behold, I will create new heavens and new earth." The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. Um, Verse 21, they will build houses and dwell in them, they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit, and on and on it goes, discussing Creation, 2 verse 25, The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Creation is waiting for its liberation. The problem on earth is not a carbon problem. It's a sin problem. And man totally disregarding God thinks that they need to fix creation and fix the earth because we have a carbon problem. We don't have a carbon problem. Our sin, in fact, polluted creation. We have a sin problem. And until the sin problem is dealt with, creation will remain frustrated no matter how minor the carbon is in this world. Now, we are placed in this world to be stewards of God's creation, But we are not called to worship creation as if Mother Earth is our life giver. We are called to steward creation because Father God is our life giver. That's... So as environmentalists, we are stewards of the world, but not worshipers of it. Okay, so we... we, we, we are waiting now in eager anticipation with creation. We're on the edges of our seat through history as we wait because the promise is that creation is going to be liberated one day from its bondage to decay because of sin. Now what? What else do we need to understand? Well, secondly, Christ is the first fruits of our resurrection. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's a sequence here that I want you to notice, a sequence of resurrection events culminating in the handing over of the kingdom of God, the, fa- uh, the Father, and destruction, the kingdom to God the Father and destruction of death. And this sequence that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 orders and helps us to understand the order of how things will finally come to pass. Now, I want you to see very carefully what happens here, looking at verse 20. But Christ has indeed, of course, the argument's gone on, you know, what if Christ... You know, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some say that there's no resurrection? And, and Paul's arguing, arguing with the Corinthians uh, with respect to this, some of the false teachings and false things they're hearing. And then he, he summarizes it and, and goes into this long description uh, that's phenomenal about resurrection. But he says here in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits." Of those who've fallen asleep, firstfruits meaning there's more to come. He is at the front of the line of those who've fallen asleep, which is a euphemism for those who've died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But look at, but each in its own turn, in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits fruits. Then, now there's a gap, an undetermined gap, undetermined space here, then when he comes. Remember we talked last week about we don't have our resurrection. Those who, those believers who've gone on to heaven do not yet have their resurrection bodies. We don't know exactly what they have. We really came to terms with last week that they're, they're in some sort of form that, that's temporary. It, it, the um. Uh, intermediate state, we don't exactly know because here's what it says. We don't get our resurrection bodies until Jesus comes again. There's 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 a space here. When he comes, those who belong to him. Then, another space, okay? It's the same sequence, Paul writes it in the same way. There's another space, then the end will come. When, not until certain events take place. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, then the last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, see the sequence here. It's very important for us as we understand how the end unfolds. Paul has given us a nice outline here of the sequence of how things occur. Christ was first raised to life, bodily, which begins a chain reaction of events leading up to the final dominating sovereignty of God. But there's unspecified time lags between the sequences, which is why Paul writes then and then. So then, when he comes, those who belong to him, those who die before Christ's return have not yet received the resurrection bodies, but when Christ comes, they will receive their resurrection bodies. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Christ returns, he brings with him those who are already in heaven with him in the intermediate state, the present heaven, which we said was the new Jerusalem, Eden, The tree of life is there. When he brings those with him, those of us who are still alive, if it's us, or the next generation, or whichever generation it is, will also receive their resurrection bodies and will meet the Lord in the air. And Paul talks later on in 1 Corinthians 15 about what that looks like, and we'll look at that just in a few moments. And then he says, in verse 24 to 25, the end will come, but not before a certain sequence of events takes place, which he describes here. First of all, Jesus must put all of his enemies, they must all be subjected under his feet by his reigning until he puts all dominion and all authority and all power during his reign under his, uh, subjected under him. That has to take place. He has to hand over the kingdom to God, the kingdom that he has been reigning, putting all authority, dominion, and power under subjection. And then you'll notice in the final sequence, verse 26, it says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Then death will be destroyed. And it just so happens that in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14, the last thing to happen before the final, uh, the, the final consummation of eternal life for us, eternity for us with Christ is Revelation chapter 20 verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So there's a sequence of events that you see happen here that lays it out for us very nicely, so that we can tra- track it ourselves by John's vision in the book of Revelation, and of course, what Paul also saw in 1 Thessalonians or wrote about in 1 Thessalonians and elsewhere. So we have Christ the first fruits and a sequence of resurrection events. So after all of so, so as that's laid out for us now. The next big thing for Christians, for all believers, is Jesus. 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 The next big thing is Jesus, our resurrection hope realized. Now, I'm going to work you you through a sequence of events that um, the scriptures detail for us and um, outline for us how, in fact, we end up in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, I'm going to put up a big, long chart for you today. It's not a chart that's unfamiliar to most of you, but I think the visual will be most helpful rather than notes. The the visual will be helpful for you. So let's, let's get going on that, and I might refer to it by turning around and looking at it. You see a line right now. The history of redemption, at least New Testament redemption, begins with Christ's First coming. Christ came in John 3, John 3:16 3, and 17 records that He came to be our Savior. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that began the church age of an unknown duration. Uh, we are living in that right now. The next event that is scheduled to occur. As I said, the next big thing for believers is Jesus, the appearance of Jesus. He's, he's filling in the final then gap, which, re, which we're looking for, looking eagerly for, the resurrection of our bodies, liberation of creation, um, and, and then the end and eternity. And the first event that is yet to occur or will occur as Jesus returns is, I think some of you were saying, the rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes there of the, of the uh, return of Christ when he writes, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, seized up, snatched up raptured up in Latin, snatched up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. We live as a church with this great encouragement of the the coming of Christ, the rapture of the church. The next major historic event for us is the coming of Christ to rescue his church. I'm going to take us along a couple of... uh, uh, clicks on, on our, our thing to the, the, the event that will occur, um, and I want to I embrace a couple of things w- uh, with you uh, right now. Um, click up there, the tribulations, which will come next, and then the next will be the return of Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's stay right there for a moment. Okay, so within this room, there's probably a, a number of people who have uh, a very different idea of what things are going to happen. And um, I will seek to persuade you from the scriptures that if you're thinking anything differently than this chart, that you're completely wrong. And, uh, and so I, I am a, uh, a avowed, committed, pre-tribulational, pre-millennialist, uh pastor, uh, because that's what I see in the scriptures, and I would like to show you why I see that. Um, so let me just throw a bunch of stuff at you right now to help you see what's going on. So some people would, would say, um, forget the rapture of the church. That's not gonna happen. So we take that arrow away. What's gonna happen is there's tribulation, but there are many people in this room who say, well, we had tribulation since the church age and we're just in this massive era of tribulation. Um, and then what some would be saying is Christ is gonna return and that's it, and then we go into uh, eternity. Well, consider a couple of things. There's, a, there's an awful lot of uh, scripture that talks about what's called the great distress or the great tribulation. For those who think that, yes, yes, the church has been persecuted. At the time of the writing of the New Testament, the church was under tremendous tribulation. There was tremendous persecution. Um, When Jesus was was there, he he was facing all kinds of opposition and persecution. But he himself said something in Matthew chapter 24 that is worth noting. In Matthew chapter 24... Verses twenty-one and twenty-two, he talks about. For then there will be. He's first of all talking the, the disciples that ask him, "What are going to be the signs of the end?" And you're, you know, all all that's going to be uh, wrapped up and all of that. And he's he gives them a description of wars and rumors of wars and famines and birth pangs and all of that kind of stuff. And and then he says uh, he says this. For then, after he's talked about all kinds of things, then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days were shortened. In the book of Jeremiah, the great tribulation is actually the day of the Lord, it's the 70th uh, in Daniel, it's the 70th week decreed for Israel. In, Je- in, in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it's called Jacob's trouble. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5:2 talks about it as the day of the Lord. In Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul talks about the time of the Gentiles coming to fullness. Jesus also, in Luke 21, verse 24, talks about the time of the Gentiles. In Revelation 3:10, it talks about this time. There's a time coming in history and church history called the, the the great trial on the on the earth. In 1 Thessalonians 1:10 and 5:9, it talks about it being the coming wrath of God. In Daniel 12:7, talks about seven years, time times and a half a time, three and a half years plus three and a half years. There's a lot of scripture that that you can chase down yourselves, you can talk about them at your, with your DCs tonight. But let me just throw a couple of things in the, in the fire at this point. For those of you who think that there's no rapture of the church, just a return of Christ at the end of persecution on the church. In 1 Thessalonians 10, 1.10, Paul writing to the church there, says the church will be rescued from the coming wrath. Now, some would say, yeah, that's fine, out of the coming wrath. In Revelation 3.10, John writes that the church will be kept from the very hour of the trial that's come to test the whole world. In 1 Thessalonians 5.9, Paul writes, we have not been appointed to suffer wrath. Now keep in mind that the description by Jesus, the description of the prophets, is that there's coming a time of the wrath of God on this earth. If you read the book of Revelation, you will see that it's not like nothing else that has ever been experienced. But Paul says, the church has not been appointed for wrath. The, the prophets write that this is Jacob's troubles this is a time of Israel Daniel writes it's the day of the Lord 70th week decreed for Israel the tribulation period the seven year period is that period whereby the church is removed the wrath of God comes upon the earth as a sign to Israel that they might turn to their messiah who will come as they had expected, but they didn't think it was Jesus. This will be the time in the tribulation. It just so happens that in the ancient Near East, in particular, Israel's marriage uh, ceremonies, the marriage took place, and then there was a week-long party that took place. Before, the, mari- or before uh, the, the whole marriage was completed. And, and then there were, were the sound of trumpets. So we have the rapture of the church as the marriage of, of Christ and his bride. We have this symbolic seven, this seven years, which is a week. The 70th week of Daniel, which is, happens to be the symbol, uh, 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 symbolic as well of the marriage of the ancient Near East. Seven days, a week long celebration the bride is celebrating with Christ in heaven, the world is under wrath, and then Christ, the revelation of Christ in Revelation 19, 14. But you also notice that in this picture that Paul paints of the coming of Christ, that the church that is still alive on earth rises to meet Christ in the air, not on the earth, rises to meet Christ in the air, gathered with the saints who are already with Christ, and together they're with Christ forever. In the new Jerusalem that we talked about last week, the reunion of the saints caught up together in the clouds. Paul Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that flesh and blood cannot be in God's presence. And so we have this cool statement in 1 Corinthians 15 that... um, Uh, We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. A lot of churches have put that as a motto in their nurseries. We'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. But that's not a nursery statement. That's that's for us. In the twinkling of an eye, because flesh and blood, corrupt flesh and blood cannot inherit, cannot be in the presence of God. However, so you're saying, wait a second, I thought we were going to get bodies. Yes, didn't Jesus come back and say to his disciples, check it out, bones and flesh. Didn't he also eat fish in their presence? Yes, he did. Did he just appear in the room without opening a door? Yes, he did. That's some hints of our resurrection body. So the tribulation is not for the church, the great tribulation is not for the church. At least, I can't see it. I can only see verses that say, we are not, we are rescued from the coming wrath, we are kept from the very hour. How are you kept from the very hour if you're still around? We're not appointed to suffer wrath. How can you not suffer wrath if you're around? We don't belong to the darkness, 1 Thessalonians 5.5. 5. In fact, we are left, we are room, removed. The restrainer is removed. Well, I must carry on. There's so much more we could talk about there. So let's talk about the revelation of Jesus Christ, the visible return of Christ. Let's go to the book of Revelation. You know, um, in in Revelation chapter uh, 13, there's a big boast thing going on by the beast, the whole satanic uh, trinity It says in in, in Revelation 13, verse 4 men worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. Uh, And they also worshiped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? And all these bold proclamations, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. And look at the words, to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God. It was the 42 months. It's the partial tribute, partial time during the tribulation. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven, being slandered by the beast. He was given power. Do you notice these words? Authority, power. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe. Which saints are we talking about here? Those Jews that are in the tribulation that come to know Christ. And he's given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. It's a satanocracy. Literally, a satanocracy during this time, this period, this great, as Jesus calls it, the great distress, the wrath that's come upon the world. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So here's the big boast. Who can take, who can make war against him? Go back to Revelation 19, verse 11. Here's who the visible return of Christ I saw heaven standing open and those before me was and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true with justice he judges and makes wars war his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of god The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth, by the way, Jesus takes care of everything himself. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun with, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people free and slaves, small and great. I must stop there. So who? The answer is, who can take down the beast? Who can take down the unholy trinity bragging and boasting, even though it was given the right by Almighty God to do such things? It is the visible return of God's champion, Jesus Christ, who came the first time not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. On the second time, he now comes to declare holy war on those who worship the beast and on Satan. And this battle will take place, Revelation 16:16, in Armageddon, the Valley of Jezreel, The valley of Jezreel is about 380 square kilometers, or 145 square uh, um, miles, for those of you who are still in the old system. This is who. He makes war. Who can stop him? No one can stop him. Uh, He comes with the heavenly armies, the angels, to execute the wrath of God. Angels and us. And this is the Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of the Trumpets, the Jewish New Year, where the trumpets will sound and Christ comes, and uh, to subject, to put into subjection the enemies of God, according to 1 Corinthians 15 that we just looked at, by striking down the nations. And we have... um, you know, this discussion here, which I don't have a lot of time to look at, but it talks about the two Babylons, the woman on the beast and the fall of Babylon in Revelation 17 and Revelation 18. Just suffice it to say, because I'm seeing history unfold before our very eyes, that the uh, harlot of Babylon is really a false religious system. And, and it seems to me that that when you look at this, the mother of prostitutes and a false false uh, religion, it, it, it feels to me like in this false religious system uh, that, that ecology has become the, the new religion of our planet. And people are bowing down to it. And, and you're, you're gonna, your wallets are going to be unloaded into this false religion. And that is the harlot of Babylon, Mother Earth, as opposed to the Versus the bride of Christ is this picture of, of those who assemble around there. And then in, in the fall of Babylon, there's a second Babylon description in chapter 18, which appears to be the corporate political system. And it seems to me what we're seeing right now is a merger of the ecological false religious system and the corporate political system. If you're reading things, you're, you, you can read even on the Government of Canada website the bio-digital convergence. The convergence of the eco and the convergence of the corporate. The two Babylons are coming into focus. Even as we... You, you've got the... the, the The WHO, W-H-O. You've got W-E-F, the World Economic Forum. You've got the uh, World Wildlife Fund. All coming together, all coalescing under this corporate political system and ecosystem. The harlot of Babylon and the city of Babylon together. But that's that's another whole story. But, But for those of you who are looking at things, those of you who have eyes to see, as Jesus said, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, pay attention to what's going on. So we have, um, by the way, this, this battle of Christ who comes back is a fulfillment of Psalm 2. Where in that Psalm, it says, why, why do you conspire against, against God? Why do the nations conspire against God? You know, the Son of God laughs at you and it to kiss the Son or die. There's this fulfillment of prophecy that's taking place here um, with this. Now, look what, what follows. First, Revelation now, about Revelation 20. So we've got Christ comes back, putting, under, putting into subjection, as Paul recorded in the sequence, the enemies of God through his reign. Okay? Well, what's this reign that we're talking about? Well, look at it in Revelation chapter 20. The reign of Christ. Christ's millennial kingdom. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key of the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient Satan, serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus, because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast, in Revelation 13, or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Okay, so we have this description now of the fulfillment of the sequence of what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians, where we have a sequence of Christ. Subjecting the nations under his authority uh, by his reigning, ready to hand over the nations to God, and uh, for all eternity. So we have this thousand years. Now, how many how many years is it? A thousand years. So there's a bunch of people, of course, who, who don't buy this either. Um, they're not called premillennialists. In fact, premillennialism which is the belief in this thousand years. Well, let, let me just stop for a second. When something is said once, it's fairly important. When something is said twice, what have we learned about in Scripture? It's, it's, there's an emphasis. Three times? So how many times is this little area talk about a thousand years? Six times. It's like a thousand years. How, how, John, what, what was it Again? It's a thousand years. John, what, what did you say? How long was it? It's a thousand years. John, how long is it? What's well, a thousand years? John, what did you say it was? It's a thousand years. John, what did you say? A thousand years. It's a thousand years. I, I'm wondering if the Lord directed John to write it six times because there would come an era when there would be people who say, nah, I'm not buying into that. Premillennialism, which is the belief that there is a literal thousand-year reign of Christ when he returns, um, was the uh, was the church belief for the first uh, until the fourth century. It wasn't until the time of Eusebius, um, the church historian, who said that that um, um, the the tide had turned. And people were st- stopping, they weren't believing in the in premillennial anymore. In fact, by the time the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD, um, the belief of premillennialism, a thousand, literal thousand years, was actually condemned. It made a resurgence, though. I'm a convert of the resurgence. After this, Satan is loosed to rebel. People are, are living with Jesus. Jesus is the king. He's on earth. He's, he's commanding things. He's leading. And, and it d- just demonstrates that in, even in the perfect situation, there will be rebels against Christ who will band together in huge numbers with Satan, who is loosed, to trick them again, and who will, they will go against Christ, and then there will be the final battle called the Battle of Gog and Magog. And then there will be the great white throne judgment in verses 11 uh, through um, 15 um, it says there will be no place for earth and sky because of the imposing presence of the judge of all the earth verse 11. it won't be an arbitrary judgment you'll notice that the judgment is based upon what they have done it seems here that that uh, v- very clearly that um, Those, the the great white throne judgment, by the way, is not for believers, it's for unbelievers. Their works can't save them, but their works will determine the degree of their punishment. And then it says the whole thing, death and Hades, will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the final sequence of Paul's statement. Where the great white throne judgment, heaven and earth pass away, Verse 20, chapter 21, verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then we get to the eternity, the new heavens and the new earth. Let me just give you a, a, a fast version of the glories that await us in the eternal destination of the redeemed. By the way, in Revelation 22, 18 to 19, there's a warning there, which is why I take very seriously, and you, you, I know you do as well, that I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this, this book, If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life. Pretty important, pretty serious, and in the holy city, which are described in this book. That's a warning. The eternal destination of the redeemed is the new heaven and the new earth. Now, 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 now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them forever. Jesus has now taken care of everything. Taken care of sin, taken care of Satan, taken care of authorities, taken care of dominions, taken care of power. Put it all under him, given handed it over to God the Father for eternity. And now it's just us and the Lord for all of eternity. And you see here it, you know, it says in the, in the holy city, the new Jerusalem, verse 2, "'Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, "'beautifully dressed for her husband.'" Verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, in great, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. We talked about that. The present heaven, which is now descending to the new heavens and the new earth. Eden in tow, all coming down. Eden is described in Verses 19 uh, to 21 in Revelation 21, it talks about the foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone and jasper and all of that. If you look at Ezekiel 28, verses 13 to 14, you will see exact same description, which is the description of of the uh, of, uh, of Eden described or paradise described. And then we, it talks about in, in uh, Verse, uh, cha- Revelation chapter 1, 6 and 21, um, 24 through 27 about kings and priests and nations. We will be kings and priests, all of us. There's no need for a temple because the Lord is there. The Lord God, God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. 21, 22. There's no sun or moon because the Lord God is the light. Verse 5. In verse 4, you'll notice in... Um, sorry, um, Revelation twenty-two verse two. Uh, so, in twenty, I'll, I'll read verse one. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit. Some I've asked. Them, Wait a second. I thought there was just one tree of life. There's a whole lot of us. It seems that the tree of life is a kind of tree. The tree of life that will be there, a kind of uh, tree, and it will provide for us. Look at yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Food and healing for eternity. We'll be eating and drinking and fellowshipping forever. That's what Baptists like to do. That's what we do. We eat and we drink and we fellowship. Well, I have good news for you. That's eternity. When we do that together, we are getting a foreshadowing of what it will be like for all eternity. The tree of life will be there. And, and some of you have said, what, well, maybe, how are there going to be no more tears? How am I not going to be sad? Uh, I'll be thinking about things in the past. No, you won't. Isaiah 65, 17 and 18. The former things will not be remembered. Nor will they come to mind. You will not, it will be removed from you. you any friends or loved ones who don't make it, Will never come to your mind, ever. And finally, in verse 4 of 22, they will see his face. For the first time in human history, people will see the face of God because our bodies will finally be in a, in a state where we can see God because we were too unholy to see his face. We could see his glory, but not his face. His glory passed before Moses, but not his face. 1 John 3, 2, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And then finally, three times, starting at verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Three times. So once again, the purpose of eschatology, first of all, is to encourage our hearts. But it's to pose a serious question. Are you ready For the coming of the Lord. Because there is nothing yet that needs to happen. Not a single thing. Before the Lord's coming. He could come before this service is finished. So, three times he emphasizes at the end, the Lord himself. I am coming quickly. Now, in the Lord's economy, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So when Jesus is saying this, behold, I come quickly, there's only been two days. There's only been two days. Two thousand years, two days in God's timing. He's coming quickly. Father, thank you for your amazing promise to us of eternal life. And thank you for the events we have to yet look forward to. Oh God, we praise you. We bless your name. We love you. We thank you for your truth. And Lord, I pray that we would be ready. How should believers now live? We should live in anticipation of the coming of the Lord and be ready for him. And how should those who do not know him live? Today is the day of salvation. Today, repent. Today, come to know Christ as your Savior, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a matter of historic record that Jesus Christ died and rose again. That same Jesus has promised to come and get us to return, to take those who belong to him with him for all eternity. He says he's coming quickly. Three times in The end of the book, the end of the Bible, he stresses, I am coming quickly. Behold, I'm coming quickly. So I pose this question to you online with us. Are you ready? Are you ready if Jesus Christ were to come today? Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ to go with him for all eternity? If you are not ready, I urge you, today is the day, You need to call out on the mercy of the Lord. He will save you. He will come to you. He will be your Lord and your Savior. We would love to hear from you if you're online. Give us a call. We'll talk to you about these things. If you're here, don't leave without talking to one of our pastors. We would love to show you how you can be sure that you know the Lord Jesus Christ and that you'll be with him for all eternity. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has promised us eternity with him. We are so grateful, Father, for all, of the, all that we have to look forward to. We are thankful, Father, that you have rescued us from sin and granted to us forgiveness, that we might be able to be in your holy presence for all, forever, that we will be able to see you face to face. You will dwell with us and we with you. There will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more dying because the old order of things will pass away and we will be with you forever in a new heaven and new earth. Oh God, thank you for your grand promises to us as we complete this series of promises. Lord, you have given us so many precious promises. You have liberated us from the wilderness of our fears and our anxiety, our concerns, our hurts, our pain, our burdens and have rescued us, and offered us life in Christ. Lord, thank you for that, in Jesus' name, amen.